Amy Tatum is an incumbent on the Ben Lapine School Board. She was elected in 2019 and is seeking her second term in office. This conversation is being recorded on April 8th, 2023. Amy Tatum, welcome to the Radical Songbook. Thank you so much for having me today. Appreciate it very much. Tell our listeners a little about yourself. Yeah, I am Amy Tatum. Uh, I'm a mom of two kids in Ben Lapine schools. Um, you know, I grew up in Southern California in a little town called Fallbrook, and the first thing I wanted to do when I graduated from high school was leave and never come back. Uh, I thought I wanted to live in a city far away um, and have a very different life than the one I have now. Uh, you know, I think... Going to college in L.A. opened my mind to a larger world out there. Um, I was fortunate, fortunate in college to meet Oliver, my husband, and we've been together now for over 20 years. Um, you know, we started, I first came to Bend with Oliver in 1999. And the first time I came here, I was like, oh, this is an interesting little town. And the more we came back, the more we saw Bend growing and becoming a place where we really wanted to raise our own family someday. So when it came time to think about long-term career goals, one of the reasons I chose to pursue nursing was because I knew it would allow me the flexibility to live in this beautiful place and raise my family here. Um, we moved cross-country in 20, uh, let's see, 2009. So that I could attend the Yale University School of Nursing, where I earned my family nurse practitioner degree. And we were fortunate enough to be able to move back to Oregon in 2012 when I graduated. Uh, we got back to Bend in 2014 and have been happily here since, being involved in our community and trying to make an impact to make this a place where our kids hopefully will want to come back and raise their families too. And you are an active nurse here in the community? I work as a family nurse practitioner providing primary care services at Mosaic Community Health. All right. And so why are you seeking re-election to the Ben Lapine School Board? Yeah, uh, that is a decision, honestly, that I struggled with quite a bit when I was thinking about running again. Um, you know, when we ran four years ago, I really wanted to make a lot of positive changes for our community and improve outcomes, particularly for our most marginalized students. Um, of course, the term that I've had over the last four years was not the term I expected to have. Uh, within, you know, a few months of our term of my term starting, our superintendent resigned suddenly, and then we were starting a search for a new superintendent, and the pandemic hit. Um, you know, that led to a lot of the time being rather reactive rather than proactive. And, you know, it was uh, a very, it's, it's been a very challenging time to, to serve. Lots of conflict, lots of politici politicization of what school boards do. And that has detracted, I think, from the work we want to do for our kids. And when it came time to run again, I really worried about the impact on my family um, you know, there were definitely times when I lost sleep and had significant anxiety over what was going on within our schools. Um, and I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to put my family through that again. But when I asked my children, you know, Sylvia, Dean, you guys think I should do this? They both gave me enthusiastic yeses. And that was when I felt kind of the fire reignite to let myself 
feel like I was able to dive back into this work and really commit to making the positive changes that I ran on in the first place. And so here I am seeking a second term and very excited to be going through this process again. So you mentioned a lot of issues that did come up in your first term, and we'll get back to some of those. But how do you generally feel? Is there anything more you want to add in terms of how you feel about your first term, but also really what you feel you were able to accomplish and what you still feel needs to be done? In other words, what are your what are your goals and, and uh, plans for a second term if you're reelected? Yeah, so, you know, I think our district weathered the pandemic uh, as well as any district could have. Um, you know, I, I think our state should have opened schools before they did. Uh, but I think also hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? It's always easy to look back and say we should have done something different. Uh, but, you know, our district, Ben Lapine, was the, the first large district in Oregon to reopen. And we were able to keep our doors open through the challenges of staffing and illness that came with school reopening. Um, you know, there was an OPD article showing we had less learning loss than other districts, but that's not to say that there still isn't a whole lot of work to be done to catch up these kids who missed significant amounts of school. Um, you know, as a parent, I experienced all of that. When it comes to things that I want us to continue working on, you know, the um, excellence and equity work that we have engaged in is really important. Finding out from our stakeholders and particularly students who are historically marginalized how we can better improve outcomes in our schools um, so that they have, you know, wellness, belonging, inclusion, all those things we say we want for every kid, but those apply evenly across the board regardless of how a student identifies. And right now we know there are huge gaps in experience for our, our students. We see that in our data, um, and our students are the ones telling us they need these changes. And so, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve our students, and I also really, really think we need to be working on educator well-being and wellness for our educators, because education, just like healthcare, is facing a crisis when it comes to how do people who work in the system continue to feel well in the system and continue to feel supported, um, especially in the face of public attacks on education. So what can the school board do to help educators um, in the district? Yeah, well, you know, school boards, um, one thing I think that is often misunderstood by the public is the role of a board. You know, people sometimes think, well, the board should just do this thing. And the way that policy governance works is the board is not necessarily telling people what to do, right? We are making policies and we are telling our superintendent actions and visions that we would like him to undertake. But it, the operational side of that is left to him. When it comes to things that we can do to improve educator wellness, um, I think we need to look at policies and how some policies may not be implemented the way we want them to be perfectly. Um, you know, some of our educators are, not some, All I think everyone in our school is affected by dysregulated behavior of students, for example. And that dysregulation is something that is not unique to Ben Lapine. It is happening all over the country. You know, in terms of specific policies as a board, I, I think one of the things we've heard from some educators is around restorative practices. 
And restorative justice is something I feel very passionate about. You know, I don't think students should be penalized for things that we want them to learn from, right? But if a behavior keeps happening over and over again and it's causing harm, there have to be consequences. And sometimes what I've heard from our on-the-ground educators is that restorative practices are being used so that there are no consequences and students feel like they can continue to engage in the behavior because nothing's going to happen to them. And that has to change, right? If we tell you over and over again you can't kick, you know, the kid sitting next to you and you keep doing it, you can't be allowed to stay in that setting and continue to harm somebody. And and that's something that I think needs to change. And I also want to hear from our educators and want them to be leading a lot of this work. And currently the district has put together a task force of educators to really work on the behavior issue. And as a board, I support our educators working this problem because they are the people that know our students best. And if they tell us something isn't working, I'm always going to listen to them. I'm always going to listen to the people closest to the work. So it sounds like you're probably familiar with the work of um, the Restorative Justice and Equity Group here in Bend and, and the work that they're doing with students of color, GLBTQ students and others. And what role can the board play uh, working with an organization like that and with the district and school staff? Yeah, well, you know, the school board says we want restorative justice, right? And we want restorative practices employed in our schools. But in terms of how that is operationalized, that is the work of the superintendent in the district. Um, you know, if the RJE group comes to us and says, hey, we this policy maybe isn't the best for X, Y, and Z reasons, as a board, we need to look at our policy and figure out should it be adapted. And as I said before, I'm always going to listen to the people who are closest to the work because I am not an expert in anything. And, and I say that not in a um, diminishing myself way. I, I think most people think they have expertise in things, but it's like, you know, we all have lots of things that we dabble in. And one of the things some of my friends who are primary care physicians we joke about is we're not really experts in anything. We have to know a little bit about a lot. And I feel like as a school board member, I have to know a little bit about a lot. And I'm constantly reading and learning about topics so that I can be better educated, so that I can speak to things. Um, but when it comes to how we work with partners, yeah, it's listening to them, hearing their input, hearing their feedback, and figuring out how we design policies that better serve our students and our staff. So, uh, I want to get back to your platform a bit, and it's kind of tied to my next question, and that has to do with something you've already referenced, and that's, you know, there's been kind of a, uh, in my view, a coordinated national campaign directed at school boards with a variety of demands under the guise of parental rights, and, and we don't need to go through them all, but it has to do with the pan opening of schools, masks, uh, the whole question of what students are taught about race and racism, uh, demands that books, certain books be banned. What are your thoughts on all of that? And and I guess tied into that is what role do you think parents should play in public education? Yeah, so the parental rights movement is, um, I just read an article kind of tying it to uh, a right-wing view of Christianity that says children are essentially something that are owned by parents. Um you know, how much that is that is true in terms of ideology and the parental rights movement, 
I'll leave that for other people to make their conclusions, but I thought it was an interesting argument. Um, you know, as a parent myself, and as somebody who believes in democracy, I think parents have always had a huge say in their parent in their child's education. Parents have the right to choose where to send their school their kids to school. Parents have a right to homeschool. Parents have a right to teach their children in their home their own values. Parents vote in school board elections. Parents vote for state and uh, federal represent- representation. And these are the people who craft education policy. Parents have the right to volunteer in their kids' classrooms. Parents have the ability to contact their teachers, to contact principals, to figure out if something going on in the school is inappropriate for their values. When things are controversial, um, permission slips are sent home. Parents have always been involved in their child's education. But one thing I think that is fundamental to education that is left out of this is that education has to serve all students, right? Public education isn't something that can be catered to one family's particular values because my family, you know, frankly, might have different values than the person who's saying that their values are the ones that they want to see in schools. Why is that person's values, you know, superseding mine or, or someone else's? Public schools have to educate everybody, and we have to try to do so in a way that's inclusive to all people's beliefs and values. Um, and that's one of the things I think that really is at the foundation of, of intellectual freedom and academic freedom, and our public schools have to uphold that. You know, when it comes to things like banning books, um, I think that has no place in a free society. I don't think that has any place in a free democracy. And I, I do believe that America is a democracy, but there are people in this country, including people running for office locally, who are outright saying online that America is a republic, not a democracy. And I don't understand how people think that somehow their beliefs should be the only ones employed, not understanding that I could say the same thing and try to destroy their values and their beliefs, but I don't. Everyone has a right to believe what they want to believe, but in a civil society, we all have to be able to interact with each other and respect each other's beliefs. Um, And that being said, to me, a, a belief like racism is something that is filled with hate and division and something we need to stamp out. And if someone wants to be racist and keep that in their own home, that is their their right. But if they want to be racist in our schools and harm a kid who is a different race, that's not okay. And not something I think we should ever abide by in a civil society. I got the fundraising letter that you sent out and you talk about um, that you're running on a platform of freedom. Yeah. Um, can you amplify on that just briefly? Freedom to learn freedom to play, and freedom to teach. We need our schools to be places where everyone thrives and everyone has the ability to feel safe to learn and free to learn. And right now, we have a tax on our democracy and a tax on our freedom by people in the Republican Party and people in the right wing. And, um, you know, I don't think school board elections should be political like that. And I also think that people who are trying to ban books, those aren't people interested in freedom. Banning books is an act of control. 
And if we continue to let people use freedom when they're trying to take away our rights, then we're giving up our freedom. And it's time for people who are trying to work on things like every kid has the right to feel safe in school. LGBT kids have the right to come to school and feel safe and be represented and be able to say who they are. It is time that we take back that language of freedom from a party that is directly in opposition to freedom. Someone who is trying to, you know, uh, limit reproductive health care. How does one person's decision to control bodily autonomy affect you in that way? Shouldn't, doesn't, but I, I'm all about taking back the language of freedom because I, hypocrisy is something I have very little um, patience for. So you mentioned safety. You know, there's the question of safety for students like GLBTQ students, transgender students, et cetera, disabled students, students of color. And there's also the broader question uh, of safety from being shot, which is, you know, which is just a horrible thing to have to even think about. What can the school board do in terms of directing, um, helping to direct policy um, that will make students feel safer? You know, one of the things that was in uh, the bond measure we passed was upgrading our doors so that, you know, educators will have the ability to lock their classrooms. Um, I think as a board, we, you know, we passed a resolution, um, I forget what state, what state law it was, you know, that we could ban concealed carry on our campuses, which we did. Um, I think as a board, we can message strongly to families about the, the um, importance of safe gun storage, um, you know, and educate kids that guns aren't toys even though I hope parents are educating about that. And that's something that, you know, should be happening per the American Academy of Pediatrics at Will Child Checks, you know, assessing safety and, and guns at home. Um, and also acknowledging that when we live in a rural county, a lot of kids do grow up with guns. And, you know, that's a parental value. And, you know, we have guns in our home in a safe. My kids don't know where they are, and I don't need my kids to know where the guns are. I don't want my kids thinking that guns are toys or guns are something that are something we, we play with casually. They're not. Guns are a very serious tool that have a use, but also I don't think that's unfettered usage. Um, I think that we should have limitations and restrictions. You know, as a board, like I said, messaging about safe gun storage, uh, partnering with local law enforcement to provide gun locks to families who need them or even gun safe. Um, those are tools that we can use. And I think continuing to advocate to our local electeds at the higher level to push for good gun control measures that will keep kids safe. You know, if you look at the data, when the ban on assault weapons expired, we saw mass shootings go up. You know, how many AR-15s are used in mass shootings? And if we see the same weapon being used over and over again to kill kids in our schools and we refuse to take a look at that, that's a failing on us as adults and we have to accept responsibility for kids dying. And I'm not willing to just say, eh, cats out of the bag can't do anything. We have to save our kids. And, you know, I think with what we're seeing in Tennessee, our youth is demanding that we change and that we make sure they are safe because going to school when I was a kid, when you were a kid, gun violence wasn't something we thought about. Um, 
you know, I remember it was my freshman year at UCLA, and I remember walking back into my dorm, and the TV in the lobby was on, and it was, you know, April 20th, 1999, and Columbine, I saw the kids running out of the school with their hands over their head, and I remember sitting there watching it just shocked that that was happening, because that was not something that... I remember being a fear when I was going to school. You know, Columbine was really, I think, what changed it and what what made a lot of us start looking at gun violence in that way. And since Columbine, how many kids have died in our schools? You know, I ask that someone as a rhetorical question because I don't know the number, but how many kids have died in our schools? And yet we have done nothing to stop it. And we hear calls for more school, school resource officers, and school resource officers have been shown to reduce some violence in schools. Um, there's also a lot of evidence that they can increase, um, you know, uh, discipline for students who are of other races, particularly black boys. Um, and that's something we clearly have to take a look at. Um, and, you know, the data has shown, and there, there was a report in JAMA, and I think RAND did another one. And, um, I might be wrong on that one, but I think it was RAND. Um, that showed, you know, school resources, school resource officers don't actually reduce school shootings. You know, that's what the data shows. That's not an argument against school resources, resource officers, but it's an argument against that being the tool we use to reduce school shootings. What are your concerns uh, regarding student achievement in the Ben Lapine School District? You know, looking at our graduation rates, in the last four years, we have had two of our highest graduation rates ever. And that is something we should absolutely be proud of. However, when we look at the data, we see discrepancies between our schools. You know, for example, Lapine High School is lagging our other schools by, you know, 20 plus points, which that is frankly unacceptable. You know, every kid who starts in our Ben Lapine schools should be able to to obtain and earn a high school diploma. Part of the issue is I think not every kid enters our schools with the same background. You know, we have kids like mine. And and I use my kids as an example because I did not grow up in a home where I always felt safe. And I didn't grow up in a home where I always felt like I had what I needed, particularly emotionally, um, from my family of origin to help me be successful. You know, there were lots of days I went to school and that was my safe place. And there are kids in our school who every day going to school is their safe place. And I look at kids like mine who are so fortunate. They've never wanted for food. They've never wondered where they were going to sleep. They never have felt unsafe in their home. And when we look at achievement gaps, kids that are coming in without feeling safe and loved and having what they need, just the basics of food, warmth, and shelter, right, those kids are at a huge disadvantage. If you have a community with a lot of generational poverty, communities where a lot of children are not living with their families of origin, there are, there's a lot of trauma and substance use disorders among adults that is going to affect the the academic outcomes of those kids. And so when we talk about academic excellence, we have to acknowledge that some of our kids need more 
and we have to be willing to do that equity work to make sure that those kids get what they need. You know, one of the ways that we have been doing that and one of the things we've really been working on increasing are our CTE pathways. And we just recently had a presentation that, you know, our students who are participating in CTE classes um, and who are engaged in CTE classes, they have the second highest graduation rate in our district behind, you know, our kids who are like the tag kids, which is such impressive data to me. And I really want to make sure that our kids who might not be on a college path also see a place for them in our schools and know that that path is valid and that that path is a way for them to obtain, you know, economic freedom, if you will. So, yeah, I I really want to continue to work on alternative pathways, you know, uh, career technical education, because I think that's a way we can help close some of these gaps. Could you spell out for us, for our listeners, what those initials stand for? Yeah, career and technical education. So I always like to ask my guests um, if there's anything that I should have asked you that I didn't, uh, or if there's anything other than that, if there's anything that you want our listeners to know about you and your campaign. I am someone who is invested in this work, not because I'm a lifelong educator, you know, I I work in, in health, but I think there's a huge connection between education and uh, physical wellness and mental wellness, and we know that. Um, the data shows that, right? People who have better economic or better uh, educational uh, achievement, higher e- uh, educational achievement and outcomes is, is associated with better physical uh, health across the lifespan and, and better economic um, opportunities. And so, you know, I come to this work with my health background and with the appreciation that I've been able to be successful in life and break the patterns um, of my household of origin because of what I received in public schools. Um, You know, my public school teachers were the people who nurtured me and who made me feel like I was going to go to college someday. Um, you know, and like I said, my, my parents, they didn't graduate from high school. They were high school dropouts. And I didn't hear college from them. I heard college from my teachers. And, you know, they identified me early as someone who had that potential to, to do well in school. And I focused on that. And I come to this work wanting every kid to feel like when they come to our schools, we see them and we want them to be successful and we want them to feel loved. And if we can make schools that are safe and inclusive, every kid, regardless of their home, has the opportunity to be better. How can people get involved with uh, your campaign or in touch with your campaign? Yeah, uh, so you can go to my website, amytatum.com, and learn more about me. You can contact us there via email. Um, There will be opportunities for canvassing and lit drops coming up soon, and I would encourage people just to pay attention. And um, I'm always uh, available to have a conversation with parents, educators, community members who want to talk about these issues and partner to improve outcomes for everyone in Ben Lapine Schools. 
And that's Amy Tatum, A-M-Y-T-A-T-O-M, right? Yes, yes. Well, thanks so much, Amy Tatum, for joining me here on the Radical Songbook. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today.